Batman the Animated Series. The episode is on leather wings. Okay, so I've got this thing paused right here. So, just in time for a plane to fly by overhead. I'm not sure if my mic is picking that up, but uh, oh, fuck it, I'm leaving it in. Anyway, so I've got it paused right at the beginning here. So, if you want to watch as you listen to this, I guess like watch along with this commentary that I'm about to do. Uh, commentary begins in three, two, one. All right, so we've got the Warner Brothers logo fading into the police blimp with the searchlights all shining around. Guys, I got to tell you, you know, I was there in 1992 when Batman the Animated Series debuted. And, you know, I got to tell you, this little opening sequence here was a really, I think, effective way of setting the sort of the tone and the tenor of what this series was going to be. It kind of prepared the viewers for what they were about to watch and did so, I think, in a in a pretty entertaining kind of way. And it's really effective, I think, if you watch this thing sparingly. But if you watch this every weekday afternoon on Fox at 4.30, like I did back in the sixth grade when this show started, I got to tell you, this opening sequence here can actually get a little bit old after a while. But um, anyway, so now we're getting into the title card for this episode, which again is On Leather Wings. And my memory of it is this was actually the first, I think this was the first official, or rather the first episode to officially air. I think there was a preview of The Cat and the Claw Part 1. But for all intents and purposes, this is not only the first episode in production, it's also the first episode that was aired. And I think the fact that this was the first episode, or one of the first episodes that was actually produced, I think that's one of the reasons why one of these blimp pilots is voiced by Kevin Conroy. I mean, I thought so as a kid, and it was kind of nice to get that vindication as an adult. No, the, the, the pilot here... That really is Kevin Conroy's voice. And <clears throat> I'm operating on the assumption that the reason for that... Oh, that's just a gorgeous shot of the police blimp, you know, just kind of gliding upwards through the clouds. God, that is so good. But anyway, I'm operating under the assumption that the reason some of these... Uh, some of the cast members of this show did double duty like that, it isn't to do so much with the budget, because obviously I think they had a probably a relatively comfy budget. But I think it was more to do with time you know, finding uh, voices for all these different roles could have been a pretty significant challenge. Now, another thing that I don't know that Batman the Animated Series really gets a lot of credit for is that, you know, guys, you got to understand, nobody knew what this show was going to be before it aired. I mean, obviously, the people involved with creating it knew, but... I'm, I'm talking about those of us in TV land. No one had any reason to suspect that Batman the Animated Series was going to be what it was. You know, I especially wasn't necessarily expecting a whole lot from this. Basically, I would have been happy with some kind of 1990s equivalent of the Filmation cartoons. I would have been perfectly happy with that as, a, as an 11-year-old kid watching these cartoons. And that 
needless to say, is not the series that we got. We got something that was far more ambitious and I would say just visionary, you know, and that it, it my memory of it is it took Batman the Animated Series kind of a while to really find an audience and for people to really understand what this show was all about. And because I don't remember the show getting a whole lot of respect and credit when it, when it first started. Oh, this is just such good stuff. It's Commissioner Gordon, uh, Mayor Hill, uh, Detective Bullock. We're about to see uh, Harvey Dent. And basically, I mean, the... I was a huge Batman fan even back then, and watching all of these iconic characters that uh, I'd been reading about in Batman comics for all this time, you know, Harvey, you know, flipping his his coin like that, it was it was just a just a kind of a powerful thing you know, for me. So anyway, but uh, kind of back to what I was saying before. No, like I say, no one knew. I certainly did not know what this show was going to be. And I think that's one of the reasons why Batman, the animated series, it took a while for, for this show to really get recognized and to really eh, get the credit that it was due. And my memory of it is it was probably about a year before the full implications of what Batman the Animated Series represents set in. And the... The... Basically, I guess what I'm trying to say here, like the most politic way of saying it is, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find like a non-pompous, non-douchebag, non-insulting way of saying... You know, I don't know that, I don't know if it's a question of timing or if people just weren't giving this show its its fair due or what. You know, the assumption I've always made with this is that everybody was watching this show from day one just like I was, but I think the the record on this speaks pretty clearly that no, people weren't necessarily tuning in right from the get-go because, again, nobody had any reason to think that this show was going to be anything special. And I read somewhere that, uh, I think it was a quote by uh, Bruce Tim, but what he said was, the reason they chose Man-Bat to be the, the villain for what is effectively Batman the Animated Series pilot episode is... It, this was a man bat was a character that was never on uh, the uh, Adam West uh, TV show. And so for that reason, this is a character that uh, viewers young and old had no preconceptions about. They didn't have any, uh, you know, pre-baked ideas of who this character is and what he needs to be. Whereas if the pilot episode had been something about the Joker, instantly people would have thought about Cesar Romero instantly people would have thought about Jack Nicholson. And that is, I gather, the exact opposite of what Bruce Tim wanted. And so that was really the one of the main reasons why a more obscure character like Man Bat was selected to be the big bad for, well, not the big bad, but the baddie for this episode. And so the other thing is, as a pilot episode, I think this... 
I think on leather wings gives a little bit of a wrong impression of, of the exact relationship that Batman has with detective Bullock. The no, they are not exactly drinking buddies or anything like that, but even for as bad as their relationship ever got in comics, I never got the idea that Bullock hated Batman, that he had some kind of a personal vendetta. I never got that impression. I got the idea that he didn't take Batman seriously on quite a few levels, not least of which was Batman is, he's, he, he's a vigilante, but he's, he, he's basically, he's got, Commissioner Gordon has basically given Batman a lot of the perks of being a cop, but none of the responsibilities. And so what I, <clears throat> my sense of the, the way Bullock views Batman is that he's kind of a hypocrite. You know, he sort of wants to have it both ways. You know, he wants to operate outside the law, but have all the, all of the privileges and access that come with working inside the law. I get the idea that if Batman was, uh, completely, uh, independent and separate from the Gotham city police force, I don't think he would necessarily love Batman, but I do think he'd respect him a bit more. And I get it, you know, the the reality of this is uh, the showrunners, they've got about 20 minutes to tell the story that they're trying to tell. And so what ends up happening, or at least what can end up happening, is you get maybe sort of sketchy character moments like this, where it's it, it's a kind of a wonky... It's just a wonky sense of how Batman and Bullock relate to each other. Maybe that's the best way to put it. And here I am. I'm talking so much about so little here. There's so much going on, and I've commented on precisely none of it. But uh, anyway, I guess to get a little bit more uh, screen-specific uh, here, um, Batman's basically bro uh, broken into the lab, and now he's uh, avoiding the... Uh, basically the SWAT team. And again, I mean, this I thought could give not a wrong impression because the, the genesis of this conflict and where it comes from was set out in that meeting in Mayor Hill's office. So you know that this, this is not representative of how Batman always relates to the police, but it's nevertheless... It could be misleading, especially that, you know, you get these kind of macho, trigger-happy, sort of adrenaline junkie SWAT team guys. And I've never met anybody who's been part of a SWAT team, so I don't know if any of this is accurate. I would tend to think it's not. I would tend to think that if you're going to be on any kind of SWAT team, you need to have a certain kind of personal stability and guys like this are pretty much the exact opposite of what you'd want for your SWAT team. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I, like, again, I've never met any of them. But it, I just, even now, I still think that, you know, this, this could be a little bit misleading. But one of the things that I do just adore about this episode is because of the fact that this was designated as the pilot episode, the, the animation quality is, I would say, second to none in the rest of the uh, Batman the Animated Series run. 
you know, uh, lighting, shadow, and uh, just this kind of haze at the top and the bottom of the screen. It's almost like the darkness of Gotham City is threatening to, to swallow up the image whole. And this is... I don't know. It's just... It, I don't really know anything about animation, but I would imagine it costs a fucking fortune to animate a show in this way. And so my guess is the reason that we didn't see animation of quite this quality anywhere else in, in, in the run of Batman, the animated series, number one is cost. Number two, I have to assume this has got to be a ridiculously labor intensive process. And nevertheless, I mean, I do think it does. It is representative of the show in a general sense, but in terms of just like the average episode, I don't think they all look this good, but I don't know. I mean, it's like, there's no way to say that without sounding without it sounding kind of like a criticism. And God knows the last thing I would want to do is criticize Batman, the animated series in general and on leather wings in particular, but well, whatever, I'm just going to move right along the, the kind of, the kind of strange irony about all of this is that I was aware of, uh, of man bat as a character in the comics, but not, extensively so. The only Man Bat story that I'd ever read was published in The Greatest Batman Stories Ever Told, and I forget the name of of that story, but I want to say it's like Batman Goes to Vegas. I don't fucking remember. It's something like that. And the, the twist of that, which was kind of lost on me as a kid, but the twist of that story is that the Man Bat that, that, that we see in that story is not actually Kirk Langstrom. It's his wife. And that... So what ends up happening is that it, it was kind of... I guess I was generally aware of the fact that, <clears throat> um, you know, Francine Langstrom wasn't always man-bat. But it's just, it, subconsciously, I always sort of expected or suspected, or I, I don't know, I guess... Oh, this is actually a really good moment. I love this. All right, so I, I don't want to let that entire scene play out because it's a little bit extensive. But basically, this is something that, again, we didn't really hear a whole lot of in, you know, elsewhere in the elsewhere in the run of uh, Batman the Animated Series, but. Kevin Conroy, when he started on this show, he wanted to have a very noticeable difference between Bruce Wayne's manner of speaking and Batman's manner of speaking. And you hear it a fair amount in a lot of these early episodes, but then at some point the fucking network uh, gets involved and they say they want Conroy to use his Batman voice full time, both for Batman and for Bruce Wayne. And I always just thought that was just such a bizarre choice. I mean, you know, here you've got the actor who I think is making a very intelligent, creative decision. And it's like he's getting overruled by people who, I'm sorry, don't know what the fuck they're talking about. I mean, you know, they may understand what it takes to run a, a TV station. They may understand what it takes to create a successful TV show, on and on and on. But I will never be convinced of the fact that they know more about Batman and his world than I do. And I happen to agree 
with the decision that uh, Kevin Conroy made of having different voices for Bruce Wayne and for Batman. And so if I, uh, if I decide that's a good idea, and if the actual fucking actor decides that's a good idea, then I don't think it's the network's business to do anything other than shut the fuck up. You know, that that's just me. But anyways, um, to kind of, uh, this is turning into a little bit of an ADD commentary here, but basically I was aware of the fact that Francine was only man bat in that one story, but coming into this, it's like knowing in my head that, you know, Kirk is actually man bat as a general thing. It was still a surprise to me because, uh, or rather, it was still a surprise to me that that Francine was uh, was not Man Bat in, in in this episode because again, the only Man Bat story I'd ever read featured Francine as Man Bat, not Kirk, and so when Kirk is revealed to be Man Bat, actually in this very scene we're watching here, that was a little bit of a surprise to me, but. I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, watching this episode, I was on board with Batman, the animated series, literally from the first frame. You know, they had me at hello. You know, they they really did. I I was at just that perfect age, I think, where the talky-talky aspects of Batman, the animated series were not boring for me. Which, you know, I don't know how many kids watching the show necessarily got bored during the talky-talky stuff, but, you know, there it is anyway. But, um, I could, so like I say, the, the talky-talky stuff, you know, I didn't necessarily need uh, non-stop wall-to-wall action. I was mature enough that uh, I could invest myself in a story. And at the same time, I was also just about getting to that age where you can enjoy... There's, again, there's no way to say it without sounding kind of snobby and douchebaggy about it, but you can enjoy like actual drama, you know, the, like in the comics, right? Uh, Kirk Langstrom, at least to start with, he became Man Bat because he wanted to help Batman. I mean, that's really what it came down to. He wanted to do what Batman does. And so he found a very different way of getting there, but he got there and Apparently that, you know, while that makes for a fine comic book, apparently that wasn't good enough for for Paul Dini, Bruce Timm, and all the rest. They wanted, they wanted, I guess they wanted to give themselves some kind of a dividend. And so what they what they did was they made Kirk Langstrom a little bit more of a mad scientist, um, somebody who has a tremendous uh, uh, respect for and affection for bats. And basically wants to transcend his own humanity. And in a, in a certain kind of way, he's... There's a personality type, and of course I'm blanking on the name because I'm in the middle of making this commentary. So of course I can't remember that stuff. But there's there's a personality type, and I'm trying not to say dictator or tyrant or adrenaline junkie, but the kind of person who basically... I don't know. It's like this is... We're talking about somebody who wants power for its own sake, not necessarily to help others, or for that matter, not even necessarily to even help himself. He just wants power for power's sake. And that is, in a certain kind of way, 
the the depiction of man bat and well i guess more specifically kirk uh kirk langstrom that we get here and i guess what i like about that is you can invest as much um i don't know creativity or character development or art design or whatever you want into these uh you know into these episodes and into these characters and these concepts but at the end of the day it always ends with Batman and the villain duking it out with each other. And that's, I don't know, I just, I, as a, again, as an 11-year-old sitting there watching this stuff, I really valued that, you know? I, I valued the fact that the writing respected my intelligence and the style of the show respected my fandom. So, you know, my intelligence was serviced with uh, some amazingly good writing and characterization. God, that looks like a Batman is just wailing away at him. Um, anyway. Oh, and then, of course, he does a face plant in the side of the building. And this, again, this was this was a new thing. I mean, it may seem a little bit whatever these days, but Batman gets back up. His face is all fucked up. It's, he's got bruises. He's got cuts. He's bleeding. You know, uh, it, this is this was a very avant-garde idea for for batman and to be fair this was the first and last time at least that i can remember that we see batman get bloodied up on one of his uh when he's working one of his cases this is i think the last time you know apart from like what i'm talking about is an episode now yeah you can watch uh, mask of the phantasm where he got fucked up pretty bad but you know i you get the idea that the showrunners wanted Batman to get uh, bloodied up on a more frequent basis. And in the end, they got overruled. But at least we got it here. I wouldn't have minded seeing more of that and whatever. Now, of course, he's all model perfect here. I, I guess nothing's ever perfect. He, well, now you can still see a couple of bruises and whatnot on his face, but he's not bleeding quite as much anymore. But anyway, this was the end of the episode. And... I wouldn't have been able to put it into words back when I was 11. Um, but the way I sort of think about it now, and again, I'm not trying to sound, you know, pretentious or anything like that, but this was basically a 20 minute film. Okay. This was not some silly Saturday morning cartoon show, which by the way, I would have been perfectly happy with just triple underline that part. I didn't need Batman the Animated Series to be as mature and sophisticated as it was, but the fact, like, because again, I would have been totally happy if this had been just kind of an updated filmation sort of a thing for Batman, but it wasn't, you know, they, th there were, there are a great number of episodes that are just, again, just sort of like 20 minute animated films, and this, I think, is not only is this one of them, this is one of the best. And, you know, there are plenty of others to choose from. And, you know, you never know what the future may bring. At some point, I may decide that I want to do some more Batman the Animated Series commentaries. Because, I mean, honestly, this is pretty easy and pretty low effort. And I would even say low commitment. But, I don't know. It's just, I really dig this show. And I... I valued it when I was a kid. I never needed to have it explained to me. 
you know, how good this show is and how important, you know, it was, it, it was apparent to me from the get go and no one ever had to say that to me. And, um, that's something that honestly, I actually kind of take a little bit of pride in. So anyways, so that is, uh, pretty much the end of the, uh, uh, of the commentary, and I've still got at least a little bit of time left here. So uh, what I want to do is uh, is uh, work my way through a little bit of feedback. Because guys, just in case you never knew this, I have quite the extensive back uh, backlog of of feedback to work through. Uh, take to just I just chose this one at random. Just take this one for example. This one is entitled The Big Book of Death from my old friend, Fanboy Emma's Prime. And boys and girls, this thing was sent to me on, wait for it, October the 28th, 2014. Okay, 2014, 2014. This goes back a pretty long fucking way. So I've got a lot of catching up to do. So one of the things I do want to be a little bit more intentional about going forward is uh, inserting you know, at least a little bit of feedback as, as often as I possibly can. So anyways, <clears throat> so again, uh, subject line of this email is the big book of death and fanboy Miss Prime writes, Hey Magnus, I don't kiss your ring. I know for a fact that you found it in a box of Cracker Jacks. <laughs> I assume that's some kind of a reference to something that was said in my big book of death episode that I did with Chris Honeywell way back when he and I were doing our uh, big book report series. So uh, anyway, yeah. God, that was a long time ago. But anyway, so uh, uh, getting back into Prime's email, he says, do they even make Cracker Jacks anymore? And I'm going to put Prime's email back on pause and say, as a matter of fact, Prime, you know what? It's funny you should ask. I know I'm uh, four and a half years late here, but uh, yes, in fact, they do. Um I uh, happen to see some uh, prime. I don't want to get too inside baseball here. Uh, I'll just say that. Yes, I did in fact see some when I was on uh, one of the snack aisles at uh, HEB a couple of weeks ago. And this is a pretty clear case of finding serendipity when you weren't even looking for it because I, I went to that aisle. Uh, and again, prime, this is a little bit maybe, inside baseball for you, or maybe just a bunch of bullshit information that you don't need, don't want, never asked for, and aren't interested in. But fuck it. It's my podcast, and I'm giving it to you anyway. Uh, basically, I went on this particular aisle because uh, Prime, I don't know if I've ever said said so out loud, or for that, again, for that matter, if you're even concerned with something like this, but I enjoy... Uh, watching movies, and... As if that somehow makes me unique. I know. But hear me out. One of the things that I kind of insist on doing when I watch movies, and specifically it needs to be movies. I mean, you know, I, I maybe I can, uh, maybe I need it with an episode of a TV show, or maybe I don't, I don't know. But definitely when I watch movies, I want to have some kind of snack and a drink, right? I just kind of insist on that. And so what I've been favoring lately, this is, uh, and just before we even get into this, uh, this is, uh, I'm not getting paid for this, all right? Uh, no, this, this isn't sponsored content or anything like that. You know, no one, basically what I'm saying is uh, nobody's palms are getting 
are, are, are get, what's the expression? Palms are getting greased. Whatever. I'm not getting paid, right, to to say this. So, um, but uh, what I like to eat lately, at least, has been uh, Orville Redenbacher's Naturals, uh, lightly salted. That's the the type and the flavor. Orville uh, Orville Redenbacher. That's the type of popcorn. Uh, naturals, whatever that means, and then lightly salted. So none of that butter or any of that other stuff. This is just, uh, you know, plain old regular popcorn with just a touch of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, salt added in. And really that's it. So, um, so that's that. Now to kind of balance out the butter thing, and this may make some of you nauseous, but, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, here it is anyways. Um, to sort of balance out the uh, butter thing, what I do is, um, there are, are really two separate products that I season my popcorn with. Number one, um, this is a Colonel Seasons, uh, popcorn butter, and you can buy it in these little, these little plastic, uh, jars, and you just sort of, uh, uh, drizzle it over your popcorn. And I think the idea is you're supposed to shake the popcorn together and let it bounce up against itself. So at least in theory, the butter should spread itself out a little bit more evenly. And on top of that, I also add in, uh, again, kernel seasons. <clears throat> this is butter seasoning. It's this kind of buttery powder stuff and kind of sprinkle that on top after I've put on the kernel seasons butter, you know, it's like this kind of syrupy, saucy type stuff, liquid butter, I guess. And uh, so after I put on the liquid, then I put on the powder. And then to top the whole thing off, to bring up just a little bit more butteriness, in case I haven't had enough yet, I usually have a, a glass of milk. And then this is the part that may make some of you gag. I usually eat my popcorn, not always, but usually one kernel at a time. I just sort of dip it, uh, dip the kernel into uh, the milk, and then instantly down the hatch, baby. And I don't know why, but that is just so fucking savory. Love doing that. And <clears throat> so, and especially with movies, because it takes a long time to eat your popcorn that way. So your average movie has a pretty comfortable runtime to it, more than enough for you to work your way through all or most of a uh, of a bowl of popcorn whenever you're eating it one kernel at a time, you know, dipping it in your milk as you go. <clears throat> That's the way that I like to do it. So, yes, but to kind of go, to sort of go back to your original question, you know, do they even make Cracker Jacks anymore? Yes, in fact, they do, because the last time I was at HEB, I went to pick up some more of my popcorn supplies, and while I was there, again, you can call it finding serendipity when you weren't even looking for it, but... Yes, I did see some Cracker Jacks on there, and not even thinking about this email, Prime, not going to lie to you, didn't even think about it, but I was like, wow, son of a bitch, they still make Cracker Jacks these days. I did not know that. So, anyway, how's that for kind of a long answer to a simple question, huh? Anyway, so Prime goes on to say, the cryonics and embalming and such were all interesting. And guys, just to kind of put that kind of bizarre comment in, uh, into some kind of context here. You need to understand what Prime is referring to there is a conversation that uh, Honeywell and I were having 
it, it is directly related to the big book of death. Again, if you read it, it'll make more sense there. But he's not just randomly quoting all, or he's not randomly mentioning all this just weird, bizarre, gothy, like death-oriented type stuff. There is a purpose for that. So you know, I'm, what I'm saying is it didn't it didn't come out of left field, right? At least in his email. Now, for all I know, maybe it came out of left field and the episode that I did with Honeywell itself, but at least in his email, this is not non sequitur, just so you know. So anyway, Prime goes on to write, great show and sorry it's a short email, but didn't have a lot to say. And Prime, that is just fine. I don't necessarily need your emails to be long. I'm just happy that you're even listening at all, especially since it's been so long since I've worked my way through any of these emails. So... Anyway, so uh, so that's that. Um, all right, so there's some. F- this was a an email that was sent to both me and a Michael Bailey by somebody, and honestly, this actually relates to an episode of Views from the Long Box, and so I don't know if it's appropriate to read it on my show since it's not really specifically about my show. So, um, let's see. What else is there? This is still... This episode isn't quite full up yet. So, we've still got some... I don't know what the... I'm I'm basically going through my Gmail address right here on my phone. And I don't want to use apps, okay? I've got my reasons for that. I don't want to fucking go into that but it's <clears throat> i don't want to use the gmail app you know what i mean and so i've got my reasons i don't feel especially inclined to justify that and so i i, I guess what i'm saying is i view gmail through chrome on uh, chrome my browser on my phone and with a lot of these uh, different services like Facebook, uh, Twitter, Gmail, etc. They usually make the mobile version of their web page as shitty as they possibly can so that they can try pushing you over to their app. And the reason I'm not going to do that is because there, at least in theory, there is nothing that an app can do. Or rather, there's nothing that uh, that I need an app to do that cannot be done using a browser. Okay. Nothing. Zero. Zilch. All right. So I always view this stuff through a, through a, just a plain old regular uh, browser. There are tons of things that an app can do that a browser can't that I don't want to have done. And so the end result of that is, um, maybe an app can, I don't know, read your text messages or an app can um, make a, a copy of uh, the, your your uh, phone memory, all the numbers and contacts and whatnot in your in your phone, and then send that to God knows who for God knows what. All right, I don't want an app to have that kind of power, and so I get the idea that I'm one of the few people who does this, but I have as few apps on my phone as I possibly can precisely to avoid that stuff and protect my friends and family. And something tells me my friends and family don't necessarily repay that same courtesy. 
But anyways, whatever. Um, this is turning into a rant. So anyway, I just put, this is actually a little bit more uh, recent, um, recent email. Uh, this comes from uh, Professor Allen and uh, the subject line is jabs and rambling. The, the date is March the 8th, 2019. That's 1-9. Again, Professor Allen of the Relatively Geeky Network. And uh, Professor Allen writes, Mr. Magnus, you asked for responses to your recent rambling slash ranting episode. Your wish is my command. I'm reminded of the long and storied career of DC publisher Jeanette Kahn, who joined the company at the age of 26 as a publisher after founding a number of magazines. She had no knowledge. Actually, I'm going to put the professor's email on pause here and say, guys, um, there was a point when I was releasing a bunch of episodes of Trinus Magnus Jabs Reality, one of which it included some of my critiques of the modern comic book industry, one of which is the talent is the management and the management is the talent. And how fucked up that is, because if you go into the world of talk radio, the talent generally is always going to sit in front of the microphone. The management is always going to be behind the microphone. Uh, in the world of publishing, the talent, that's the person whose name is on the cover of the book. The management, their name is on the inside of the book. So on and so on and so on, right? And my point is to say that there's everywhere else, there's a very fucking clear delineation between talent and between management, except with comics. And with comics, maybe maybe the publisher of your comic book company is some inker. Well, he's an inker. What the fuck gives him any kind of special understanding or insight about how the publishing world works? Fuck all. But for whatever reason... Artists are publishers of comic book companies, or writers are publishers of comic book companies, etc., etc. And it just kind of makes you think, you know, no wonder comics are such a clusterfuck next to a dumpster fire, next to a train wreck in the middle of a fucking shit show these days, you know? I mean, it all makes sense when you realize that, you know? That cannot be said of literally anything else, but with comics... Management is talent, talent is management, and there is no delineation between the two. And I think that lack of a delineation is fucking killing this industry, guys. So I think, I think that that's where Professor, uh, Professor Allen's coming from. So anyway, uh, getting back into uh, Prime's, or not Prime, uh, getting back into the professor's email, he writes, of Jeanette Kahn, he says... She had no knowledge of the specifics of the comic book industry, but did that keep her from doing an excellent job running the business? Wait, sorry, I, I think I misread that, and I think I'm not parsing this right. But that did not keep her from doing an excellent job running the business. By the age of 31, she was promoted to president of D.C. and stayed with the company until 2002, after 26 years with the company. I totally agree that bringing in someone from a different, albeit related, industry should be considered. Sometimes you need an outsider to shake up the company, and this industry needs to be shaken up. Promoting insiders, quote-unquote, is no way to change a company or change an industry. Keep up the good work. Signed, Professor Allen. 
of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network and also the podcast Dorkness to Light. And guys, I I have to agree with Pro, uh, Professor Allen. I mean, I I think he's right on the money. And I don't want to rehash that that episode of Trennis Magnus Jab's reality too much, but I I do want to emphasize the fact that guys, I I don't want to be too. Sp- you know what? I'm tired of talking around politics. I mean, you get all these fucking liberals who are allowed to say whatever the fuck they want, but somehow, somehow, anyone who is, shall we say, not a liberal, well, we just need to keep our mouths shut, not not cause problems. You know what? Fuck it. Maybe I'm just in a bad mood today. I don't know. I don't really care if I upset those people. Guys, it comes down to this, all right? People don't want to, and I'm talking about your average comic book customer here. Your average comic book buyer doesn't want to pay $5 on a cover price just to buy some fucking SJW checklist, okay? They don't want to fucking do that, okay? It 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 is as simple as that. You can uh, wrap all this identity politics stuff up and and whatever uh, sugar-coated just fucking bullshit presentation that you want at the end of the day it is what it is it is sjw politics and it is not something that the great majority of people want to have any fucking thing to do with all right and the other thing is i mean i even putting aside like the the political dimensions to all this guys we're I'm not saying that comic books can't be good because I I do a show, a podcast where I talk a lot about comics. So I'd like to think, you know, of all people, I've got a unique appreciation for comics. I love comics, but you have these big, uh, these big classic iconic characters that are in these just horribly contrived, overly political, just fucking bullshit uh, uh, stories and ideas and uh, philosophies that are coming out of their mouths. And it's just, it's fucking stupid. Guys, these big, excuse me, these big icons like uh, Batman, like Superman, Spider-Man, you know, all the rest. Guys, they are big. They are iconic. They are not subtle. There is nothing subtle about these characters, okay? I guess what I'm saying is comics are not exactly famous for their ability to use superheroes to do social commentary. I mean, yeah, I guess every once in a while it works, but for as often as it works, you get at least five or six I am curious black. And if you're if you want to know what I Am Curious Black is all about, Google it. And then realize that's, number one, that is a real comic book story. And number two, that's a comic book story that DC really fucking did publish. Okay? That is a thing that really did happen. All right? I'm sorry. If you want to have, like, some kind of overly political uh, type of message in your comic book... I don't think Thor is the place to do it, okay? I just fucking don't. And I think that, especially when it comes to Marvel, you know, uh, the the proof is in the pudding with all this, you know, just fucking weird, green-haired, feminist cat ladies that are writing these fucked up 
SJW type comics. It's just, God, it's the sales on these things. I mean, it's like, I used to think that at the end of the day, if, if and or when sales on these books just finally fucking crater, that's going to finally get somebody's attention and they're going to take whatever steps are necessary to fix things. And no, apparently they're not. All right. They, I guess they're content at this point to go out of business. You know, it's okay if we go out of business, as long as we go out of business, publishing a bunch of left wing, just fucking bullshit that nobody cares about. And no one wants to have anything to do with. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know. And it's like the minute you say that, it's like people will call you everything in the book. You know, Comics Gator. You know, look, I don't know anyone that's associated with Comics Gate. I haven't really talked a whole lot about it, but I don't, I don't know who those people are. I couldn't pick any of them out of a room full of assholes. You know, it's to me, it's just it, the amount of agreement that I've got from otherwise apolitical people on my friend list and in the Trinus Magnus Punches Reality uh, Facebook group. The people who, guys, we're not talking about some kind of, you know, fire-breathing right-winger here. We're talking about people who are, in a general sense, very independent, very a, very apolitical, I would say. And they don't like being politicked to. It's, how fucking many of these comic books need to get canceled before the publishers get it through their fucking heads? And it's starting to look like all of them. It's, look like, it's looking more and more like Marvel especially. Marvel especially is going to have to fucking go out of business before the message finally sinks in. And it's like, in a certain kind of way, I'm sad about that because I do love comics. I do love these characters. I don't want to live in a world where a Thor comic book is never going to be published again. Or a, a Hal Jordan Green Lantern comic book is never going to be published again. Or Superman or The Flash or whoever, you know. I don't want to live in that world. and I, But guys, I'm going to be real honest with you. I can see it on the horizon, okay? I see it coming, and it just it breaks my heart, okay? I mean, we have... I'm just going to drop it. It's, it's just sad. I guess that's my point. It's, it's sad that things have ever gotten to this level that... You know, I, here's something I honestly don't think I've ever outright said on mic before, but something that you guys need to know is I don't read new comics, guys. Like, if you just look at the history of of Trennis Magnus Punch's reality, I think the closest I've ever come to reading anything that might be mistaken for a new comic book is Superman Earth-1 and Batman Earth-1. You know, that's it. Uh, other than that, and, and what I mean by that is they were new, or at least really, really, really recent, when I did episodes about them. But other than that, guys, you know, you're hard-pressed. You are very hard-pressed to, to find anything. Let me think. This show started in August of 2013. You're hard-pressed to find anything otherwise before, during, or or much before, during or after, comic book-wise, that I've ever talked about on the show. I mean, there's, like I say, a couple of things. 
But the great majority of the stuff that I've talked about on this show, it's mostly from long before 2013, guys. And this is a big part. I mean, honestly, the the main reason, that, since I'm kind of taking the gloves off a little bit politically, the main reason that I stopped collecting comics was it just got to a level I couldn't have, I, I, I was never comfortable with cover prices. You know, what, at least in 20, uh, let me think, 2011, 2012 through there, what cover prices were at that time, I never liked them. But I was kind of willing to tolerate them. But then, like I say, I'm taking the gloves off a bit politically here, the Obama tax increases went through. It's like now I've just got fucking less money per paycheck. So, no, I'm not going to spend it. You know, And like the way I looked at it was... Most of the people at my LCS fucking voted for Obama. You know, like the employees of my LCS, they fucking voted for Obama. They voted for a tax increase. And now their bottom line is going to suffer for it. And like part of me was kind of like fiendishly happy, like sadistically happy about it. It's like, okay, you guys, you voted for this and now you're getting less money. Hope you're happy. Way to go, guys. Fucking idiots. So anyway, God. Um... I don't know how many listeners I'm going to have after this feedback section, but it's like it's so extensive, this rant, I don't see any way that I could possibly cut it out and still have a coherent feedback section for this episode, so I guess I'm kind of stuck with it now, so I don't know, whatever. I mean, I've made so many enemies as it is, it's like, what's, what, what's a few more, <laughs> you know? And I guess the other thing is, you know, you listen to most liberals on, on their podcast, it's like... They never think twice about interjecting their fucking bullshit politics into things. So I'm not exactly injecting mine into this. I'm, believe it or not, I haven't said anything in terms of policy preference that I would like. I just criticized basically the liberals. But, you know, that you maybe shouldn't think you know where I'm coming from politically just based on that. So, you know, but whatever. I mean, the point is, you know, a lot of SJWs and liberals and far leftists, and let's just fake it. Uh, face it to fucking communists uh, don't think twice about inserting their you know their bullshit in, 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 into their shows and so I don't see why I should hold back on, on my show so if you disagree with that I'd actually you know what if you disagree with that I would love to read I would love to read your your thinking on that like what is your rationale for that you know if you think that that they should be able to to say whatever they want, but I shouldn't. I want you to explain that to me. Send it to me. Trentusmagnus at gmail.com. T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Trentusmagnus at gmail.com. Send that to me and break it down for me. You know, do you think I'm wrong here? Not factually wrong, but do you think I'm like morally wrong for saying what I've said? You know, policy disagreement is one thing, but do you think it's morally wrong for me to say what I've said? You know, I I guess I, I kind of cracked open the door by saying all this. I'm just going to throw it open all the way. I'm inviting your feedback on that. Just let me know what you think. So anyway, this whole episode ended up being a whole lot angrier and, and I don't know, just more bombastic than I originally planned. And honestly, I think I know what the reasons for that are. It has, oddly enough, nothing to do with the liberals. Mostly it's to do with traffic in this fucking city. But uh, anyway, so this whole thing ended up becoming a whole lot more angry and ranty than I really wanted it to. So maybe the best thing I can do right now is just uh, 
shut up. So I'm going to go ahead and pull the plug on this thing right now, but uh, before I do, uh, as it relates for next week, I've uh, basically, guys, I've tried to be a little bit more intentional about talking about movies and TV shows and stuff more often. And that is very much continuing into next week, because next week I'm going to be joining forces with Scott Gardner so that he and I can talk about 2008's Iron Man, the first Iron Man movie, basically the cornerstone of the MCU. He and I are getting together to talk about that. And this is actually a little bit more uh, auspicious than it might first seem, uh, because it's really been a long time since I've had a guest on this show. So at this point, I think it's been over a year. Maybe we're even closing in on like a year and a half. So he's actually the first guest that I've had on this show for quite a while. So it's actually kind of nice to, uh, to welcome Scott back to the show so that he and I can talk about Iron Man. But that's going to be next week. But uh, I think that's pretty much it for me and all of my ranty, rantiness for this week. So bye, everybody. I'll see you next week, or at least I'll see you whenever the next episode comes out. That's it for me. Goodbye. So I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find this show on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. My Facebook group is the only official place where you can find everything that has anything to do with this show. The reason for that is because I despise Twitter. Pretty much everything about Twitter sucks. So join the Facebook group today. Speaking of Facebook, you can friend me just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. But remember, all feedback and correspondence emailed to me will be read on mic unless you request otherwise. So, if your email isn't intended for public consumption, don't forget to say so. Otherwise, I'll assume that you want your correspondence to be heard by my dozens, and dozens, of fans across the world. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Since we're on the subject of feedback, Trentus Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, you can sponsor my show simply by going to twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the PayPal button, donate any amount at all, specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love, and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there's no minimum donation. 
Be a Trinus Magna show sponsor today. I don't have a Patreon, because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So, if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law. Some assembly required. Batteries not included. Many will enter. Few will win. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trinus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy. <laughs>